Good morning, Discover Church. How's everybody feeling this morning? Good, 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 good. Hey, you just watched a little bit video recap of a little thing we call Love KC. We had 150 people from our church serving in eight different projects all across the Northland yesterday. And man, can I just tell you, there are a few things that make a pastor more proud than seeing the people from our faith family coming together and saying, you know what? We can do more together than we ever could apart. We're going to go make a difference today. We're going to go put gas in somebody else's tank by serving the school, serving some of our missions partners across the community, across the city. And I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. You can give it up for yourselves. Thank you for serving at Love KC yesterday. I also want to give a quick shout out to Miss Lori Mulet. She was the queen of Love KC, helping to coordinate and organize all the things. Lori, we love you. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for making that happen yesterday. Come on, can we give her a round of applause this morning? <clears throat> Outstanding. And then one more time, I want to say thank you to all the folks that are tuning in online. Come on, put it up. Let them know that you're welcome. You're glad that they're here with us <clears throat> this morning. <clears throat> we are in week two of our series called By Faith. And during our journey together through Hebrews chapter 11, we are learning about these, these people that have been recorded for us, these heroes of the faith. And as we are going through this, my hope is to help you learn how to approach and respond to the many different obstacles and opportunities in your life in a way that is pleasing to God and provides hope to you. And we are talking about that the solution to every obstacle, the solution to every opportunity is that we must approach them by faith. Now, last week we learned the definition of faith and we, we, we're operating with this, that faith is believing something is so when it isn't so because God said it so. And we had some fun working through that last week. We're going to jump right into Hebrews chapter 11 this morning and Hebrews chapter 11, verse four, and it says this, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts and through it, he being dead, uh, and though he being dead, still speaks. This is the first person, this is the first stop in our journey through these heroes of the faith, and it is a man named Abel. All right, he is the first mention here, and we are going to learn why he is called a hero. We're going to learn why he is listed as the first hero as we learn about his story. Who is Abel? Abel was a member of the first family. And I literally mean the first family. He was the son of Adam and Eve. He was the younger brother of an older brother with some anger issues named Cain. And they had what, some, well, well, I believe that we could reasonably say they had some sibling rivalry issues. How many of you grew up with, uh, with a sibling in the house and y'all had some rivalry issues? I look right back here. I don't know. I can't tell who that is, but like immediately a hand went up, right? Like that was an evidence, like somebody got punched in the face at some point in that house. Um, I did not have sibling rivalry issues. I am, um, the only boy and I have three sisters. I am seven or six, seven and nine years older than my sisters. And so I was like way too old and, and felt like I was way too cool to get caught up in sibling rivalry stuff. And, um, and so that never really happened. But when I was a youth pastor, I spent 11 years working in student ministry. One of my favorite things to do as a youth pastor was to put siblings in competition against each other. It was awesome. Because inevitably, there would be something that one sibling was really good at, but the other sibling wasn't really good at. 
And so naturally, ever the instigator, if you, if you get to know me very well, I have developed a bit of a reputation of being a pot stirrer. I like to stir the pot from time to time just to get a little conflict going, sometimes just to see what happens, right? And, uh, and so I would do this, but, I, but it all ended one day. All of my fun ended because my pastor, my boss, who had two boys in my youth group came up to me and said, I'm going to need you to stop doing that thing that you do where, where you make my boys compete against each other. And I said, but why? It's so fun. Listen, I give them, I give them both an equal shot. Like I know what they're good at. I'll give one the opportunity to compete in his wheelhouse and then he starts talking smack and I'll give it a little bit of time and then I'll throw a competition out where the other one can win. He goes, yeah, that's fine and good. But what you don't understand is when they come home, it is like cats and dogs in my house. And I determined that I liked my job better than I liked having fun with sibling rivalries. And so I quit doing that. To say that Cain and Abel had some sibling rivalry issues would be a little bit of an understatement. <clears throat> Abel is listed here uh, as the first elder, and he is the first hero that we cover in Hebrews 11. And we learn more about his story in Genesis chapter 4. And you can turn there if you have your Bibles. I encourage you to, man, as we go through this series this summer, we're going to be diving into the deep end. So come ready to take some notes, be ready to learn some things. I'm going to do my best to bring some things to you that can help you learn. And as you grow in your understanding and relationship with the Word of God, you'll grow in your relationship with the God of the Word. In Genesis chapter 4, here's what we learn. We learn that Adam and Eve, um, they did what married people do, and, and then they were blessed and they were fruitful as a result of it. And so they had Cain, and then sometime later they had Abel. And, and the time comes in verse 3, and in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought the firstborn of the, of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel in his offering, but he did not respect Cain in his offering. Now listen, there is a, a whole lot going on in these three verses, and so I want to try to break it down for us. At a big picture level, what is happening here? What is happening here is that Cain and Abel have come to a point in time where they want to worship their God. And um, what we can infer, what we can assume based on the fact that they want to worship their God, based on the fact that they are bringing a sacrifice to worship God, is that at some point, somewhere, Cain and Abel were taught what worshiping God is. Not only were they taught what it is, they were taught how to do it. Now, we don't exactly know how they were taught. We don't know who taught them. Maybe it was, it was their mom and dad that taught them. Maybe it was God himself that taught them how to go about worshiping God. And at a big picture level, what we learn is that Abel's offering was accepted and respected, but Cain's was not. Why? Well, when they approach God with their offering, it, apparently one of them does it the right way and one of them does it the wrong way. Let's look at their offerings. What does the scripture say that they brought? Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. Abel brought the firstborn from among his flock. Now, now this, this makes sense when you understand what their job was. If we go back to verse two, we learn this, that, that Abel was a keeper of the sheep, meaning he was a shepherd. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. He was a farmer, okay? And so when it comes time for them to bring an offering to the Lord, they, 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 they look at what they do. They look at the work of their hands and they, they bring that to God. And so it makes sense that Cain would have brought from the fruit of the ground because he was a, he was a farmer. And so Cain brings the work of his hands and Abel being a shepherd brings the work of his hands. 
But there's a problem. The problem is that God accepts Abel's, but not Cain's. And the question is why? Well, in order for us to understand why, we've got to read quite a bit more through the Bible, and we don't have time to fully unpack all of this today. Um, but as we read further through the Bible, and we can infer, based on the fact that Abel did it the right way and Cain did not, that they both would have known what the right way was. They would have been taught the same thing. And what we read as we, as we understand, as we dive deeper into the Bible, what we learn is that God had established a system of worship. And that system of worship was very specific. There are some specific things that God wanted to do in the system of worship. And I don't have time to read the entirety of the book of Leviticus to you today, but I would like to sum up the book of Leviticus by, by generalizing God's system of worship. And in God's system of worship, there are two things that he wants primarily. Number one, what God wants primarily is God wants our first, not our best. He wants our first, not our best. Here's the second thing that we learn when we study the book of Leviticus, and we learn it elsewhere as well, is the second thing is that God requires, what God wants is he wants a sacrifice of blood. And these two things are remarkably important for us to understand the story of God, to understand how you and I are supposed to interact with and relate to God, and the way, the reason why God accepted Abel's offering, but not Cain. Now, if you're new with us this morning, you're hearing me talk about about a sacrifice of blood and you're, you're looking around wondering, what did I just walk into? I, I, what, what's about to happen? Are they going to start like cutting themselves and, you know, getting like weird and bloody? And No, we're not. We're, we're, thankfully, we don't have to do that anymore. One person is happy about that. <clears throat> Why is this such a big deal? Let me break it down for you. God wants our first, not our best, because our first requires faith and our best does not. I want, you, I want you to think about this for a second. When we approach God from the perspective, it's the same with Cain and Abel, it's the same with us today. When we approach God from the perspective of providing our best, then what it means is, is that we have already gathered in all of the work of our hands. We have already gathered in all the things that we've done. We've already gathered in all of it. And then what we do, once we have all of it in the storehouse, once we've got all of it in the bank account, once we've got all of it in the house, what, what happens is, is now we set back from a position of having already received all of it and then we now choose and look across all of it and go, <clears throat> well, I think God might like this more than he might like that. That requires no faith. God does not want your best. God wants your first because two things happen when you make the decision to obey God and his system of worship by bringing your first and not your best. First and foremost, when we bring our best, it shows gratitude to the Lord. It says, God, I know that I worked hard. God, I know that I, I put the work in. But the reality of it is, God, without you blessing the work of my hands, there would be no fruit from the work of my hands. And so God, when I bring my first, I am doing so by expressing gratitude that God, if it was not for you, there would not be anything that I would have. That's the first thing. The second thing that bringing your first does is it puts you in a position of dependency on God because it causes you to go, okay, God, so here's, here's, I, I, I've been putting in the work and now the first thing that comes in, I'm giving it back to you. 
And as I give it back to you, here's what I'm saying. God, I'm trusting and I'm believing that, that, that I'm grateful that you gave this to me. And so I'm giving it back. And now I'm in a place of dependency saying, God, I'm trusting that you are going to take care of me by putting you first and giving back to you what you put into my hands. God wants our first, not our best. God also wants a sacrifice of blood. Back in olden days, they would have to do this through a process of bringing animal sacrifices. And the book of Leviticus goes into great detail. The book of Hebrews provides a lot of New Testament commentary on the book of Leviticus and what's going on there. But it provides great detail about what these sacrifices were and what they were to look like and what's going on here. Now we stand in the reality and the truth that the blood sacrifice that is required of humanity has already been sacrificed in the person of Jesus Christ. And when he was crucified on the cross, he stands in the middle of the narrative of the Bible and he is hung on a cross and the sins of the world, your sins and my sins were placed upon his shoulders and he became the blood sacrifice so that no longer do we have to offer any sacrifices of blood. We only have to believe by faith in the sacrifice in the blood of Jesus. The system of worship of God requires that we bring our first, not our best, and it requires a sacrifice of blood. Hebrews 9.22 would go on to say that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. There can be no forgiveness for sin unless blood has been shed. So when Cain and Abel bring their offering to the Lord, they bring their offering from two very different places. I want you to see this today, that Cain brings, brings an offering to God, that bring, Cain brings to God what Cain wants to bring to God. That's why it was rejected. Cain brings what he wants to bring to God, but Abel brought what God wanted. Abel brought what God asked for. Cain's offering was an offering of convenience. Sure, it was the work of his hands, but they would have lived in a tight-knit community. I mean, it was just four people on the planet. I mean, how far can you run away from home? You know what I mean? And so so Cain brought an offering of convenience. It would have been a little bit inconvenient for him to be like, hey, what up, Abe? Um, I'm gonna need to get one of them uh, goats, you know what I'm saying? Or lambs or something, just, you know, God wanna do the thing. But instead, Cain brought something that was convenient. He goes, I'll, I'll do it. I'll take care of it. I'll just bring my stuff and I'll bring it in. Abel can bring his stuff if he wants to, but my stuff just good as Abel's stuff. So I'm a... Abel brought an offering of obedience. Cain's offering was an offering based on feelings. Well, I feel like, like it would make the most sense if I just did this, because this is what makes sense to me. This is what I work on. And I can't really, you know, it would feel wrong for me to go and borrow some of Abel's stuff because that's the work that Abel does. This is the work that I do. And so I feel like what would be best is for me to bring this. He, he, he rationalizes and he, he legitimizes his disobedience by saying it makes the most sense to me. I feel <clears throat> my truth is that I can just bring this. But Abel's was an offering of faith. And God is not pleased with what Cain brings, and so God rejects Cain's sacrifice. And this sends him into a tailspin. I want you to notice the second half of verse 5. It says this, And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. I bet it did fall. I mean, nobody likes the feeling of rejection. 
especially when you are in a situation where you feel like God is the one rejecting you. I feel like it's in this moment, I just need to pause and ask the question, do you ever feel like you've been rejected by God? Or you've gone through the motions, you've done the thing, you, you've gone to church and you prayed and maybe you served, maybe you gave. I don't, I don't know what the, what the, what the deal is, but, but, but you feel like you were rejected by God and, and in all of your best attempts to approach God and to connect with God and, and, and have some sort of relationship with God that, that something happened along the way and it felt like God didn't care about you. It felt like God didn't notice you. It felt like God didn't want to have anything to do with you anymore. Have you ever been in a situation where your countenance has fallen. I can't help but ask the question, is it possible? And I don't know all the details of your story, but I'm just asking the question today, is it possible that your countenance might have fallen because you tried to bring a sacrifice like Cain did instead of bringing a sacrifice like Abel did? You go, what does that look like? I don't know. Whatever it is, it probably causes you to maybe be jealous or envious or bitter when you look at other people, other Christians. You go, man, faith just seems so much easier for them than it does for me. I mean, I wish that I could have the kind of faith that they have. If I could only, you know, if it was just as easy for me as it was for them. And, and I think what happens is, is we get in this comparison game, but we miss the point of it all. That maybe, just maybe, The reason why things seem to be going well for them is because they are taking the approach of Abel where you are taking the approach of Cain. I don't know what this could look like exactly, but here's some examples. Maybe maybe in your finances. Maybe instead of bringing to God your first fruits, the first money that comes into your account, when you sit down and look at the budget, the first thing that comes out of the bank account, you give back to God by giving primarily through the church. And and then if there's still more that you want to give after that, you give to other things. And and instead, what you do is you wait and see if there's anything left at the end of the month. and And then if there's something left, then you'll give to God. Or perhaps with your time. Perhaps you don't prioritize your time. You don't prioritize the opportunities to spend time with God, to enjoy God's presence, to open God's word and to read it, to spend some time in conversation through prayer with God. And because you don't prioritize that, then maybe, maybe there's some time at the end of the day where you can, you can give God some of your time because it just feels like he just wants something from you because you've never really been able to learn yet in the process of you becoming a follower of Jesus, what it looks like and what it feels like to be able to enjoy being in the presence of God. Perhaps it's in your relationships. Instead of being open-handed with your relationships, you believe that, that it's your job to love them and to care about them more than anyone else because you have forgotten that God created them before you ever knew them. God cares about them more than you ever could. God's plans for them are far greater and far bigger than any of your plans could ever possibly be. And so instead of entrusting that person, entrusting those people and allowing God to do the work in their hearts and their lives, you hold on to them with a closed fist and you believe that it's your job to play God, to control them and to navigate them and to, to, and without even realizing it, you end up manipulating them to try to do what you want them to do. I don't know what that is and I don't know what it looks like in their your particular relationship example. But, but what happens is, is you end up living like this, trying to hold on to and control relationships in your marriage with your kids, with your parents, with your boss, with your coworker, instead of, God, I'm just gonna trust you with that. 
Or maybe it's just in your life. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your purchases. Maybe it's where you want to go, what you want to do. Maybe it's your retirement plans. And what happens is, is, is you end up just saying, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it like that. And I'm just going to do what I want to do and how I want to do it. And I'm going to build a plan and I'm going to put together a, a vision board and I'm going to build a budget and I'm going to, I'm going to do all the things. And what happens is, is you never took time to ask or consider, God, you made me, you created me. You are the reason why I have breath in my lungs. And instead of coming to God first and saying, God, if you created me, if you put me together, if I have the resources that I have, then maybe I should start by saying, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? What neighborhood would you have us to live in? What job opportunity would be the best opportunity, not necessarily for me to advance my career or my financial situation or to move up the ladder in my, my retirement situation? God, what is the career opportunity that you want me to pursue so that as your child, I can go and shine as bright as possible the love and light of Jesus to the people around me? And so we make our own plans and we never even take the time to consider what God might have in store for us. When we live this way, it is not uncommon for us to get disheartened. It's not uncommon for our countenance to fall because we are living in the way of Cain instead of living in the way of Abel. I want you to notice what happens next. Cain is frustrated. Verse six says, why are, so, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over. You know what God is saying here? He's saying, hey, listen, Cain, I see that you're upset and I got that, that's okay. Can I just tell somebody today, God is okay with your anger, disappointment, your frustration. God's a really big boy, he can handle it. And what God is saying is saying, hey, I get that you're not happy with what's going on. But in God's infinite love and grace, I want you to notice what God is doing. He's saying, if you do well, will it not, will it not be so with you? He's not saying that it's a works-based situation. He's giving Cain a second chance. He's saying, Cain, all you got to do is just go back and do what I asked you to do. Just rewind the tape and start over. But if you don't, Cain, I need you to understand something. Sin is lying at the door for you. But know this, I created you so that you can rule over that sin. That sin does not have to rule over you. That sin doesn't have to have authority over you. That sin doesn't have to control you or to dictate your life or your decisions or what to do on a, on a late night or, a, or, or an early morning. That sin does not have to dictate what you do when you're by yourself and you think nobody's even aware, nobody knows what I'm doing. I created you, Cain, so that you could rule over sin. But if you don't go back and rewind the tape and start over, watch out. What does Cain do? Cain ignores this, and he does the unthinkable. Verse 8, now Cain talked with his brother Abel, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against his brother, and he killed him. See, Cain had an out. Scripture says that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. He will always provide a way of escape. God provided Cain the way of escape and Cain ignored it. He rises up and he kills his brother. 
He did not heed God's warning. And then God responds to this in verse nine to 12. And he basically starts talking about what he's gonna do now. There's consequences for the actions, Cain. And part of the curse that God puts on Cain is that that the the ground is no longer gonna yield fruit like you've been accustomed to it doing. It's gonna be a lot harder for you. Cain begins to feel overwhelmed and he responds in verse 13. And he says, my Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. You know what Cain is doing here? Cain is now playing the victim. Oh God, I just so hard. I can't handle this. It's too much. You done did that to me. How dare you? I thought you loved me, God. All these people are going to be mad at me. I ain't going to be welcome home no more. Can I tell you that one of the things that I've observed in my life, it's shocking to me how quickly a victim mentality rises up in my heart and mind shortly after I've made a decision, not out of faith and obedience, but out of feelings and disobedience. And I get mad at God. I get frustrated at God. So God, how could you? Where are you? That's what Cain is doing here. And God, in his grace, even though Cain has is now reaping the consequences of living by convenience. And instead of living by faith, he's now playing the victim and he's blaming God instead of taking responsibility. And what does God do in response? God does in response and love and grace. And I don't have this on here, but you can read it for yourself in verse 15. God provides grace and he says, listen, Cain, here's the deal. I will take out extreme vengeance to the person who seeks to harm you. Why? Because Cain, you're still my child. And how does Cain respond? Verse 16. And probably what is the saddest verse in the Bible. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. As best I can tell, Cain leaves the presence of God never to return. Cain's frustrated and he's irritated. And so what is the point of all of this? Is this just a tragic story of sibling rivalry gone bad? Maybe. But I believe that there's a whole lot more. You see, I believe that in the person of Cain and in the person of Abel, we see a division of two camps that every single person in the world falls into. That every single person in the world is going to fall into the the mindset, the approach, the religion of Cain, or they're going to fall into the mindset, the approach, the religion of Abel. Now, I gave you some things earlier by way of comparison. Cain brought what Cain wanted to bring to God. Abel brought what God wanted. Cain's was an offering of convenience. Abel's was an offering of obedience. Cain's was an offering of feelings. Abel's was an offering of faith. And what is the byproduct of this? The byproduct of this is that Cain lived and he approached God with a works-based righteousness mentality. He approached God from the perspective of, it's about me. It's about what I do. 
I've got to do the things. I've got to do the work. I've got to go to church. I've got to read my Bible. I've got to not sin. I've got to do this. And if I, if I do more of the do's and I don't any of the don'ts, then, then, then God will love me. Then God will accept me. Then I will be favorable in God's sight. Then I will be able to be blessed by God and, and, and experience the goodness of God. Then Cain approached God and he came to God with a works-based righteousness approach, but Abel came to God with a faith-based righteousness approach. Abel came to God saying, God, as long, I just believe that if I'll just do what you asked me to do, you'll take care of any of it. If I just do, even when it doesn't make sense, like these are, this is my flock and, and the idea of taking one of these sweet little innocent, innocent lambs or innocent animals and, and, and it's young and, and, and killing that animal and bringing that animal, this innocent, sweet, precious animal and laying it at your feet. It's hard for me to reconcile that. It's hard for me to understand that. But God, I just believe that, 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 that if I just do what it is that you asked me to do in the moments, especially when it doesn't make sense to me, then I can appropriate what the book of Romans tells us later, that all the stuff, all the things will work out together for my good in the end. And where does all of this lead? Cain's approach will always, always, always lead to condemnation. It will lead in condemnation of you condemning yourself, when you get to the end of that road and you realize that there's nothing good there. It will lead to condemnation from others and you will care way too much about their condemnation over you. But ultimately, most importantly, it will lead to being condemned by God. You can do all the things. You can make it all right. You can try your hardest. Your heart can be in the best place. You can have all of the best of intentions. But the way of Cain will always lead to condemnation. But the way of Abel, the way of Abel will always lead to salvation. Because the way of Abel is not built on me. It's not built on you. It's not built on the work of our hands. It's built on Jesus. And by us appropriating faith in him for salvation. What's interesting to me is that Cain had a form of godliness. He had a form of religion. I mean, after all, he did approach God. He did bring an offering. At some level, it mattered to him. It's not like he was just like, well, forget God, screw you, I'm out. No, no, no. It mattered to Cain. It mattered to Cain that he brought an, uh, uh, an offering of worship to God. It mattered to Cain that it wasn't accepted. It mattered to Cain that God rejected him. It mattered to Cain. His countenance fell. But the problem was, is that Cain came and approached God from a perspective that said, I call the shots. And God says, I don't work that way. There's only room for one person to sit on the throne of your life. And God says, I won't share that space with you, Cain. 
What's interesting is scripture goes on, because of all of this, scripture goes on to share some rather unfortunate things about Cain. First John 3 says this, says, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. You know what this verse is saying? This verse is saying that Cain, when it says he was of the wicked one, a little bit more accurately translated, it literally means he is the son of the devil. He wasn't literally born as a spawn of Satan, as some of you might think that your sibling was. Some of you may have a child that you're wondering about. Some of you may have a parent that you're kind of wondering about. It's not saying he's literally a spawn of Satan, but what it is saying now, because of his actions, he has become a son of the devil. Why? Because he practiced a false religion that was based on the byproduct of his own reason, his own effort, and his own work, instead of basing his approach and religion of God based on God and by faith in him. Jesus uses a very similar terminology in John chapter eight. And, and, and he does this in Luke. He does it again in John where, where Jesus goes on this, this incredible rant about the, the, the Pharisees and, and, and the Sadducees and the lawyers. And in John chapter eight, he does that rant in Luke. And then in John chapter eight, he appropriates some similar language again. In John eight, verse 44, it says, you are of your father, the devil. He's looking at the Pharisees. And it says, in the desires of your father, you want to do. You see, when people are of the way of Cain, when people are of, of the way of the devil, then what happens is, is that the desires that the devil has for our lives, the desire that the devil had for the Pharisees, the desire that the devil had for Cain to reject God, even though it looked godly, even though it seemed righteous, it was based on himself and not by faith. And, and, and what Jesus is saying is, is when you live this way, when you approach God this way, then all of the desires of the devil's heart, you will end up doing. Not only this, but in Jude 11, we see that in reference to false teachers, it says that the false teachers have gone the way of Cain, which means they've turned away from, from, from any sense of, of faith and they have become to be fully reliant upon pride, upon self-righteousness, upon their own effort, upon their own ability, upon their own confidence for living and doing and following the rules. And as a result, these false teachers end up proclaiming a religion that was not at all built on Jesus. Conversely, we see some very different things said about Abel. Abel in Hebrews 11 is listed as the first hero, but I want you to notice something that's tucked away in here at the end of verse four. It says this, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and here it is, and through it, he being dead, Abel, even though Abel being dead, still speaks. What does this mean? The author of Hebrews is portraying upon Abel a very prestigious title that Jesus doesn't spend nearly as much time trying to be subtle about it. Jesus comes out and says it in Luke chapter 11. He says, therefore, the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles and some of them will, they will kill and persecute that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. And who are those prophets? I want you to notice who the first prophet is that Jesus acknowledges in verse 51 from the blood blood of Abel. So the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the temple. You see, Abel is not just the first hero in Hebrews chapter 11. Abel is the first prophet. 
in scripture. And I find this curious. How can it be that a man whose name is barely even recorded in scripture and at no point in the narrative is there a single word that is associated to Abel? How is it possible that a man, that those things are true of, how is it possible that he could be considered a prophet? It's because his life serves as the stark contrast between false religion, the way of Cain, and true religion, the way of Abel. And what is the difference between false religion and true religion? False religion is built on convenient sacrifices. I'll sacrifice when it makes sense. I'll sacrifice when, when, when I've got a little bit of time left at the end of the day. I'll sacrifice if there's enough money left at the end of the month, then I will make a sacrifice. I'll sacrifice by serving the church if I can make it work in my calendar and I'm gonna, I'm gonna build my calendar first and then I'm gonna appropriate and then I'm gonna think about what God has called me to do as a member of the body according to 1 Corinthians that, that we are to all do our part serving together and so that we can, we can all do our part to, to build the body of Christ, to nourish the body of Christ, to serve the body of Christ. I'll just, I'll just wait until it's convenient and then I'll make some sacrifices. Then I will prioritize my walk in relationship with Jesus. But true religion is based on a blood sacrifice. And that blood sacrifice is found in the person of Christ. And can I tell you, the sacrifice of Jesus was not at all convenient for him. Can I just tell you, it is never convenient to die to yourself. But that's exactly the life that God calls us to live. As followers of Jesus, he calls us to live a life where we put to death our flesh. We live in this constant position that says, I die daily to my wants. I die daily to my conveniences. John said it this way. He says, I want to live in such a way that I must decrease and he must increase. False religion is man-centered. False religion often, oftentimes will be built around an idea that creates this illusion that it's all about us. Can I tell you that I, I, I struggle with this part of it sometimes? Because sometimes I think I really am awesome until I'm reminded that I'm not. Can I tell you, it's one of my struggles being a pastor. One of my prayers regularly is that because of the role that I play in the kingdom of God, that I get to be the guy that stands on the stage with the lights on my face and the people looking at me and the camera pointed at me. I'm constantly fighting the battle. God, it's not about me. It's, it, if it's about me, it's, it, it's false. True religion is not built on man. True religion is not built on me. True religion is not built on you. True religion is built on Jesus. It's Jesus-centered. 
that the point of my life, the point of your life should never be that people walk away. Can I tell you, my hope is that nobody ever leaves this church and says, man, that Jernigan can preach. Man, that Jernigan can, can encourage people. Man, that Jernigan can this and that. Can I tell you, I don't care about that. What I want, what I desire is that when somebody would encounter Discover Church, when somebody would encounter me, they would walk away and immediately forget me. They would forget I was even there. They would forget our church, that what they would remember is the spirit of Christ and the presence of Christ and the love of Christ and the grace of Christ that has intersected their life, that has changed them because there is nothing I can do to change your life. I have nothing that can benefit you except Christ in me. And somebody needs to hear this today because somebody is broken. Somebody is upset. Somebody has a great intention and a great motivation to be used by God to change something or to change someone. And listen, God will use you. But listen to me. You have nothing to offer the situation except your presence and the presence of God in you as you stand in that situation. False religion is all about feelings and those feelings always lead to disobedience. Well, I feel this right now, you know, I feel hurt. And so I'm gonna respond in that hurt. I feel like they've wronged me and so I'm gonna respond out of those feelings. I don't like what God said to me. I don't like that God's not blessing me. I mean, I've been naming it and claiming it. I've been praying for it. I've been trying to speak it into reality and it ain't happening yet. Ed McMahon ain't showed up at my door yet with that big publisher's clearinghouse check. I just showed a little bit of my age. One of the first times I felt old right there. Because some of y'all ain't got a clue what the heck I'm talking about. Man, can I tell you, it's, I'm just, can I just be honest for a second? Like I, I, there's been a couple situations over the last few months where I'm I, like, for the first time, I'm on the old end of things. And it's weird for me. I got a lot to learn from a whole lot of you. You know what true religion is built on? True religion is not built on feelings because feelings always lead you to disobedience. True religion is built on faith and faith will always lead you to obedience. False religion Here's my concern. I am terrified that there are people in the room, there are people tuning in online that you have built your life on a version of Christianity that looks and sounds right. It looks and sounds true but you have built your life on a version of Christianity that is of the way of Cain and it's built on a false religion. And I'm terrified that because Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven that on the day that we get there, that we're gonna get there and we're gonna say, Lord, Lord, here I am, I made it. Woo, what up, Pete? 
High five. We're going to see Jesus and we're going to say, Lord, look at all the things that we did. Man, we prayed in your name. We did good works in your name. We cast out demons in your name. I served at Love KC. I gave some money to the church. I came and, and, and went to that church, that new one that met in the gym that was weird sometimes, but you know, I just kind of went with it. I joined a small group. Jesus, I even, look at all the things that I did. And what Jesus is gonna say, he's gonna say on that day for all of the people who built their life on something that seemed right, it seemed true, it seemed real, but it was a false religion. He's gonna say this, and I believe he's gonna say it with a broken heart. He's gonna say, depart from me. Matthew 7 says that he adds something very specific Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You know what he's saying? He's saying in that moment, all those things won't matter. It's lawlessness. It's insignificant. It meant nothing. And then he's going to say why he's going to say that. He said, because I never knew you. That Greek word new is the Greek word gnosko. That doesn't mean that, you know, like I, I, I know Michael Jordan, right? Like I know who that, I know LeBron James. I know Steph Curry. I know Pat Mahomes. Come on. I'm somebody, right? No, because ain't none of those jokers know who I am. It means, the word gnosko means the way, depart from me because I never knew you in the way that a husband knows a wife and they have children as a result of it. He's not talking about sex. He's talking about intimacy. I'm terrified because there are some people that I believe are building their life on false religion. And let me show you where false religion will always lead you to. False religion always leads to condemnation in hell. And that's not fun. It's not pleasant. I get no joy talking about it. But I'm desperate for you today to evaluate your life. And that if your life and your approach to God is built on the way of Cain, a false religion, I am begging you and I am pleading to you to reevaluate and reconsider a true religion because true religion will only lead you to salvation in heaven. And so I want to close today with this question. Of which of these two religions are you basing your hope and confidence on for heaven? And might I suggest that if your religion, if all the arrows point back to you and how good of a person you are, how good you feel about yourself, it causes you to think that you're better than other people. And can I just humbly suggest to you, that is not a true religion, that's a false religion. Because a true religion will, can only lead you to a place of recognizing how little you offer to the world except for Christ and him crucified in your life. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word faith 
to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word faith to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you've found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.